0: Hello and welcome to Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. My name is John Bartlett and I'm your host. Ed Yong is a science journalist who reports for The Atlantic, where he won a Pulitzer Prize for his coverage of the pandemic. His latest book, An Immense World, How Animal Senses Reveal the Hidden Realms Around Us, is about the extraordinary sensory world of other animals and how they differ from ours as humans. In the midst of writing this book, Ed's first dog, a corgi named Typo, came into his life. Through the process of understanding how Typo's world and perspective is different from his, Ed opened himself up to seeing, feeling, and experiencing the spaces around him at a new level. Good morning, Ed, and welcome to Dog Save the People. How are you today?
1: I'm good. Thanks for having me.
0: I have to say, before we begin, I'm a little bit nervous because I've never interviewed a Pulitzer Prize winner before. <laughs> I hope you'll be gentle with me.
1: We're just like normal people. <laughs> you that.
0: And the Pulitzer Prize that you won was for your journalism about the coverage of the pandemic, yes?
1: That's correct, yes.
0: That's incredible. Thank you. So glad you could join us today. And I know that you have got a new book that came out this summer entitled An Immense World, How Animal Senses Reveal the Hidden Realms Around Us. The biggest thing that really stood out to me is just this idea of how humans generally project their own ideas of the world onto those around them, and that happens with their animals.
1: Absolutely. The core idea of the book is that every creature perceives the world in its own unique way and that way might be very, very different from what we humans experience. There's a word for this. It's a German word, umwelt. It literally means environment. In this context, it's not used to mean the physical environment. So my umwelt is not the chair I'm sitting on or the floor beneath me. Umwelt is the part of the world that I can perceive with my senses. So it's the sights and sounds and textures and smells that I have access to. And that cocktail of information is going to be very, very different than what my dog experiences or what the birds out my window experience or what the spider in the corner of the room is experiencing. And the book, An Immense World, is a tour through all those different sensory worlds.
0: And Ed, you talk about it as being sort of a sensory bubble that we all have.
1: Yes, that's right. In many ways, I think the Umwelt idea is very humbling, because it tells us that each of us is only accessing a very small fraction of all there is to perceive. I'm not aware of what I'm not seeing, or what I'm not hearing, or what I'm not smelling. It feels to me, I get everything, that my perception of the world is complete and full. And that is an illusion. It's a very powerful illusion. And this book is an attempt to break out of that illusion, to pop that sensory bubble and to explore what the world might look like or smell like or sound like to very different creatures than us.
0: Amazing. We have our own very specific senses, but we frame animals' lives in terms of our senses rather than their own, and that there's a consequence in this bias.
1: Absolutely. People talk a lot about anthropomorphism projecting human. Ideals and values and emotions onto other animals. And usually when we talk about this, we're thinking about things like emotions, ways of thinking. But even in terms of the senses, which I see as like the first step to cognition, just in terms of the kinds of information that animals have access to, we also have this anthropomorphic tendency and it does skew our understanding of what animals are experiencing. In ways both big and small. I'll give you a small example. There are a lot of species of birds that we think that the two sexes are identical because they look identical to us. But they're not identical to each other. Like birds have the ability to see ultraviolet light, which we can't see. And under ultraviolet, a lot of their plumage looks very, very different. Many flowers look very different, they have markings on them pointing birds to nectar their songs sound very different. They'll be able to hear parts of their tunes and melodies that we can't pick up with our much slower hearing. In everything, right, like colors of flowers, songs of birds, each creature really is only capturing just a small sliver of the fullness of reality. We are getting a very distorted sense of what those things are like that are very different than the intended audience's perceptions of.
0: I appreciate how you call it humbling, because it is, it's very humbling that we have access only to this tiny sliver of a sensory bubble, and that in many times, we will misinterpret the needs of animals, even those closest to us, like dogs.
1: Dogs live in a world dominated by smell. Yes, Dogs have an exceptional sense of smell, and they use their nose much more intensely and frequently and enthusiastically than we do. My dog is a Corgi, his name is Typo, he's two years old. Whenever we go for walks, Typo likes to sniff, he likes to explore. Everyone who's listening to this podcast who has a dog will be very familiar with this. You know, dogs use their nose to adventurously investigate the world around them. Now, I think a lot of dog owners treat walks as if they were solely a matter of exercise or a means of travel, getting from point A to point B. And I think because of that, a lot of dog owners will yank their dogs along on a walk. And if they stop to smell, that's an irritation, right? Like we want them to come along with us. But the problem is if you are an animal that really depends on smell, then you need the time to explore the world with your nose.
0: I know that I've been guilty of doing this with my own dogs. I'm walking along and I may be in a rush my dogs will help me slow down and to be much more in the moment.
1: Sometimes I do need to get to a place yes. and we don't have time to like sniff every bit of sidewalk along the way. <laughs> but I think that this idea of having dedicated sniff walks is really important. And I heard this from an amazing scientist and writer named Alexandra Horowitz Yes, has written many books about dogs and their senses and their behavior. The idea of a sniff walk is that It is a walk where you are not controlling the pace. You're not doing it for the exercise. You're allowing the dog to have complete control over the pace of the walk. And I try and do this with Typo at least once a day. It's really amazing to me that when we give him complete agency like that, the walks are really slow. I remember once, while writing the book, taking Typo on a walk and... He's slowly investigating patches of wall where dogs have peed. And I was looking at my phone, checking Twitter and Instagram. And I just realized, like, these are the same activities. These are social activities. Typo is checking in on what all the neighborhood dogs have been doing recently, where they've been. He gets a lot of information from that. And he'll just spend a long time circling and sniffing. And we might spend half an hour, just doing one block near our house. And that's fine. I think you're right that it's almost a sort of meditative experience. It makes me slow down. It makes me think about the world around me in a new and deeper and richer way. The subtitle of my book is How Animal Senses Reveal the Hidden Realms Around Us. And I think this is a great example of that.
0: I know that with your book, one of the intentions is that you wanted to recast familiarity in a new light.
1: Yes. If we did use our senses in different ways, we would probably have a very different experience of the world that isn't going to be identical to that of other animals, but might get us a little bit closer. That being said, there are absolutely differences here, right? Like the hardware is very, very different. So all of the neural machinery that allows us to grab molecules from the air and converts them into the subjective experience of smell. There's just more of it in a dog. There's more of the neurons, there's more of the receptors that grab those molecules. There's a wider range of those receptors. And then there's also the structure of the nose itself. So dogs have two things that are really, really important to their sense of smell. First, when we inhale, There's just a single stream of air that goes down into our lungs. Now, on the way into our lungs, it passes by all the stuff in the nose that grabs molecules from that airstream and recognizes their smell. But it's just one stream. So when we exhale, it washes away all those molecules. So our sense of smell flickers in and out with every inhalation and exhalation. What dogs have inside their nose is a structure that splits the airway in two. So some of it goes to the lungs and is for breathing, and some of it goes into the nose and is specifically for smell and doesn't get ejected whenever the animal exhales. So it's got this sort of constant reservoir inside its nose, which it can use for smelling. The shape of its nostrils are also really important. So next time you look at your dog's nose, take note of the fact that nostrils will curve to the sides. There are these side slits. That's really important when the dog is sniffing along a surface. So you would imagine that if a dog is sniffing along the ground, whenever it exhales, it really ought to puff out air that pushes away odours that are on the ground. But because it has those side slits, it creates these swirling vortices, this turbulent airflow that actually sweeps odours up into the nose. So even when the dog is exhaling, it's getting this constant conveyor belt of smell going into its nose. It's not puffing in and out. It's just got this regular constant stream. And that, again, helps it to use its nose in a more continuous way than we do.
0: So, Ed, you wrote a lot of this book and the dog sections, I do believe, before getting Typo.
1: Yeah, that's right. And
0: Typo's your first dog.
1: Taipo is my first dog. Yeah, he's my first animal I've ever lived with. Wow. It's been quite the experience in the middle of the pandemic and writing a book.
0: Oh, I bet. So what was that experience like?
1: I'd written about a dog's sense of smell before we got him. So we tried to prioritize smell in the way we interacted with him from the very start. We play smell games with him at home. So, you know, we'll make him sit at one part of the house where he can't see what's going on. I will walk to a different part of the house, like hide a piece of kibble and tell him, okay, go find it. And he will zoom about the house sniffing and he'll find the kibble. He's very good at it. You know, It'll be under a toy. It'll be behind a chair. He's a very smart dog. He's very, very trainable. He's a corgi. He loves jobs. He loves to work. And the find it game, he just understood immediately what he had to do and became very, very good at doing it.
0: And how did Typo inspire... You are writing?
1: I think the book and Typo fed into each other in really important ways. I'm writing about the senses of animals. I am spending a lot of time trying to think about how other creatures perceive the world around them. And just having an animal in my life, being constantly thinking about how this creature perceives his world, I think brought home the themes of the book a lot more poignantly to me. So smell thing is obvious. We've talked a lot about it. There's also Typo's vision is different. It's commonly believed that dogs don't see color, that they only see in black and white. And that is a myth. They do see color, but they do see a much narrower range of colors than we see. So a dog's rainbow really only includes blues and yellows and different shades thereof. Typo's red ball that he likes to play with to him, looks like a sort of dark, muddy yellow. He is a bright green toy. That looks more like grey. Typo, just being closer to the ground, feels a lot more, I think, than I do. I spend a lot more time like, sitting on the floor of my house than I ever did before I got a dog. I can feel traffic driving past. I can yes. feel neighbours below us downstairs. I think that's a good reminder that there are some things that we can't perceive because we lack the right hardware. The stuff inside my nose is less sophisticated than the stuff inside typos. But some of the things that I don't perceive, I don't perceive because of like cultural reasons, because of social reasons.
0: Absolutely. and You mentioned in your book about the idea that we as humans Experience everything much more visually, and even our language is very much visually based. And so, with that idea, if we could open up and expand our senses a bit more, our whole world would open up.
1: You know, we talk about our viewpoint as synonymous with our opinion on something, right? That's just one example. Even blind people will often use visual metaphors when describing their experience of the world because visual terms. Are so thoroughly rooted in our language. But there are also cases of societies around the world where other senses maybe don't become dominant, but take on a much more important foundational air. So, hunter gatherer groups in Southeast Asia smell is really important. It's very much threaded through their culture, and they have something that a lot of Western societies don't have, which is a rich and very specific lexicon of words to describe different smells. It is weird that if you think about English and a lot of other Western languages, our words for smell are very, very few and far between. Actually, only a handful of smell specific words. Most of the words we use to describe smells are loan words from other senses. You know, sweet, we describe that's a taste word, but we use it to yes. smell. With sight, we have like bright and colorful and all the rest, we don't really have that for smell. If we trained ourselves to use our noses more, we would get a little bit closer to the kinds of things that a dog experiences.
0: Ed, one of the quotes that I love from your book is, to perceive the world through other senses is to find splendor and familiarity and the sacred in the mundane. I do find that my dogs are, in many ways, the gateway to both my spirituality and my sense of nature. Mm -hmm. Have you found a different sense of the sacred in your everyday experiences?
1: I do, in many different ways. A lot of my work about animal centers, about the pandemic, about everything else, is informed by these values of curiosity and empathy. I think both of these are muscles that you can learn to flex, and you know thinking about typo and the way he senses the world, allows me to flex both of them all the time. He enriches my life. He makes me think about the world in a more spiritual way. I think a lot of dog owners, because of our tendency to anthropomorphize creatures around us, you know see in their dogs a reflection of themselves. And that's totally fine. But I think that misses something profound. I know that Taipo's experience of the world is not my own. I know he senses things very differently. He thinks about the world in a very different way. And I love leaning into that difference. It makes me constantly curious about what he's thinking or what he's perceiving. I kind of like the fact that I'll never really know. It's almost more satisfying to understand that I don't know what's going on in his head. Even though we spent two constant years together, even though I had spent a lot of time every day with him, there's always going to be this big gulf between your experience of the world and the other animals. You can get close to crossing it through science, through research, through patient observation, but it will always exist. One of the reasons why quiet spaces are so Profoundly magical to me is that you can just hear more. You can hear birds song, you can hear insects song, you can hear frogs croaking. So we can hear more and we can hear further when it's quieter. And that makes us more aware of the nature that is quite literally in our backyards. It makes me feel like nature is right there, that it's a part of my normal lived existence. In America, especially, I think we have this concept of nature as being synonymous with grand, open, majestic spaces. You you ask people to think of wilderness and they think of Yosemite and Yellowstone and Zion, right? Like you don't think of your garden or like the street around your house, but there's wilderness there too. We just don't think about it because we have created a world where we are profoundly disconnected from it. But I think that through these informed, imaginative leaps, through reducing the amount of noise and light that we put out into the world, through just like being curious and empathetic about it. We can be closer to nature even in our normal, everyday existence. It's part of the quote that you read out about finding magnificence in mundanity and the extraordinary and the ordinary. And I think that's important because if we don't feel that connection to nature, if we only think of it as a remote and distant thing that we might you know tap into on a once in a lifetime vacation, then we don't feel the impetus to care for it or to protect it. if we don't feel a connection to something, I don't think we feel our responsibilities as stewards and guardians of it and you know I hope that this book this interview all of our interactions with the animals closest to us make us feel a little bit closer to the entire natural world.
0: Incredible. And I agree with you. The wilderness is not so distant. It's right next to us. I love that you talk about that through this work. And so honored to have had you here to speak to me and to our listeners, because everything that you're talking about, I know, is fascinating to them and to me. And I wish you so much great success with this beautiful book. Thank you. Ed, where can we find your new book, An Immense World, and where can we find you online?
1: Everywhere you normally get books from. My preference would be for you to get it from your local indie bookstore. Yes. Please support them. It is also available as an audiobook, which I read myself. And I am in a bunch of different places online, usually on Twitter, where I'm at edyong209. And I'm a staff writer for The Atlantic, where I cover the COVID pandemic and other more fun bits of science i hope you all enjoy your sniff walks with your dogs i'm sure they will thank you so much for having me on i really appreciate it
0: ed thank you and really the sniff walks now i have even a more focused appreciation for it although with two dogs sometimes they want to go in two different directions (laughs) (laughs) i'll let you know how that goes
1: yeah yeah all right good luck my best to you and your pups take care
0: thank you very much ed It was fascinating to hear from Ed about his research and findings. I loved how Typo and working on the book led Ed to reconsider every element of his day. I think we can become so numb to what life has to offer because we think it can be repetitive. But if we really look at it through a new lens, like our dogs, then everything can feel more wondrous with a sense of discovery always at play. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. This show is made by, as it should be, a production company and content studio. It is made with the support of Scott Benaglio, executive producer, and Jack Summer, our producer and editor. Special thanks to Daniel Lampert, our neighbor and composer, for creating the music for the show. You can follow Dog Save the People on Apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your podcasts if you like the show please leave a review on apple podcasts you can also follow our show on instagram facebook and twitter to sign up for our monthly email newsletter you can go to dogsavethepeople.com on the website you'll also find show merch in our online gift shop this includes shirts from the tiny tim rescue fund my foundation where profits go to supporting independent rescues and shelters If you have any questions or submissions, please drop a note to the email address bark at dogsavethepeople.com. New episodes come out every Tuesday, so see you next week for another episode from Dog Save the People. Enjoy a walk with your dog outside and make it a great day for both of you.